Acts 17, 16 through 34. We'll pray first, and then um, I'm going to read it as I go today rather than read it all at once. We're going to do verses 16 through 34. So I'll pray, and then we'll, we'll jump in. God, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would help us to... Um, I pray that you'd help us to uh, believe it, to understand it, to believe it, to submit to it, and we pray that your spirit would teach us and grow us in your grace, and um, we pray that the story of Jesus and his resurrection would be the biggest story in our lives. We pray this in his name, amen. All right, I want you guys to acknowledge that... And you don't have to say anything, but I just want you to see that I have a tie, because I, I can't, I have to do this, sorry. Um, so on, on Easter and on Mother's Day, sometimes I wear a tie, because old people like it or whatever, I don't remember why. I was, like, I was putting the tie on, I was like, what, why am I doing this again? And so, um, so but I want you to see, I, I, had my, I had my shirts, like, I had, every, everything looked good. I want you to see that for like, I held it together for like 12 seconds up here and I can't do it anymore, so... Um, uh, I would be thinking about that the whole time. So, um, I have one of my daughters is a, is an introvert. Um, maybe they all are. They just ha- they're not old enough yet for me to know. But um, one of my daughters is an introvert, and uh, sometimes on Sunday afternoon, Sunday Sunday after church, she's just ready to go home. I mean, she has interacted with other humans, and she's had her quota of that, and she's ready to go home where 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 she can just hide in her room or whatever it is introverts do. And so, I mean, it's just, it's a bit much, so she wants to go home, and so she'll, she, she lets me know this by following me around, and, and just kind of like, looking at me like, it's time to go home now, Dad, it's, you know, church is over, let's go. And, uh, and a couple weeks ago, I was, I was talking to people after church, and every group of people I went up to, I told them the same story about Haddon. Um, Haddon had done something really funny and cute. At least it was funny and cute to me. And everybody I was talking to was nice enough to, to enjoy the story with me. And so it didn't matter what anybody else was talking about. I was going to work that story into the conversation. Like, it didn't matter. what it, They could be talking about anything. And I said, you know, that reminds me somehow, I don't know how, reminds me of what Haddon did this morning. So I just broke into the story. And it was great. And, and my, my daughter was just like, Dad, how many times are you going to tell this story? Let's go home. Stop yeah, it was great. It was so much fun. And that kind of got me going. I just wanted to find more people and tell them. And, you know, it was, it was really good. Um, we, we tell the stories that we love. The stories, the stories that we love, we tell them. They come out. We work them into whatever conversation we're a part of at the time. What we want when we gather on Easter, something happens in us. If we belong to Jesus, something happens in us, and we want this story, the story of Jesus and his resurrection, to be like that. To be the story that, that is just most obviously the most important story to us. We want it to be clear in the way we talk with other people, and then we want, to, we want it just to be impressed upon the hearts of the people we love. Like, we want our children and our grandchildren to just believe that this story here is the biggest story. The story of Jesus and his resurrection and the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the biggest thing going. It's the biggest truth there is. It's the most important story. We, we sing that old song. I love singing new songs, like that Jerusalem song just came out a little while ago. I don't know when. I like that song. I like old songs too. I like the idea of singing songs that the church has been singing for hundreds of years. 
Um, I just I like that as well. And one of the one of my favorite old songs is "There Is a Fountain," and one of the final verses says, um, "Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die." Like the, the idea that redeeming love is my life's theme. That's what people hear. That's what people know is the biggest deal to me, is God's redeeming love to me. We want that. We want that. Um, Paul shows us here, he gives us a really good example to follow. He, he shows us what it looks like to, to have that story be the biggest story to us and, 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 and have that story be the one that we are sharing with others. So we, get a, we have a three-part example here. Paul is going to help us to, to be the kind of people that just share the story of Jesus and his resurrection. It's, it's clearly the biggest deal to us and it's what we want, the people we care about, we want them to hear it and, and believe it as well. So Paul is going to give us three three sort of parts to his example here. He sets a good example for us to follow. Number one, first thing Paul does in these verses, Paul saw the world correctly. Paul Paul saw the world correctly. Verse 16, Now when Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul has found his way to Athens. And Athens, at this time, was not like... Athens was, is one of the greatest cities in the history of the world. And, and Athens' heyday, its glory days, were, were, were a few hundred years earlier. But Athens is still an impressive city. It's so impressive that it's a little bit intimidating. You, you go to a city like that and you feel a little bit small. You're like, well, this city has it going. Like the, the, the top political thinkers, the top philosophical thinkers, the, the, the inventors, the scientific achievements, the, the philosophers, like the, 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 that city was impressive. And you go and you see the architecture, you see the temples, you, you see the beauty and, and all of like the just like the prestige and the history and the culture. And, the, and, and you, you just go and it's almost overwhelming. It's so impressive. But when Paul shows up, he's not impressed. He's not overwhelmed by how amazing it is because Paul sees the world correctly. He looks around and his spirit is provoked, which means he's, he's brokenhearted, he's sad. Because he looks around and he sees all of the idolatry. He sees all of the ways people were trying to live their lives without God. People, people looking to find contentment and joy and security, e- eternal satisfaction. They're, they're looking for what only God can give, but they're looking for it anywhere but God himself. They don't want to trust God. They don't want to love God. They don't want to obey God. They don't want to believe God. They don't want to worship God. And so there's just so much emptiness everywhere. Anybody else looking at Athens would have been amazed at the beauty and the culture and the brilliance and the achievements and the innovation and the, and the, and the, and, you know, the architecture. They would have been like, but Paul is, no. Paul was brokenhearted. It's, it, it reminds us, it reminds us when we're, when we're enjoying the world, and, and there's much to be impressed by, 
when we're impressed by the entertainment and the sports achievements and the, and the movies and the music and the scientific advances and the political speeches and the, and the, and the shows we watch on Netflix, let's not ever be ama- uh, so amazed and so impressed and so entertained that we forget that almost everything around us is being fueled by idolatry. The greatest things in this world are being produced by people who really think that they can find satisfaction and lasting joy in the things of this world. They really think that they can get there without God. They really think that they can arrive, that they can feel feel complete and feel content without God. It's, it's, it's idolatry. It's, it's what God describes in, in Jeremiah chapter 2. Listen to the way God describes this in Jeremiah chapter 2.13. He says, For my people have committed two evils. So there's two things God wants us to see that His people have done. They, they, the two great evils. One, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They've turned their back on me. God says, they don't want me. They don't, they don't want to, to trust me. They don't want to love me. They don't want to worship me. They don't want to obey me. They don't want me. I'm the fountain of living waters. I am the one who created them. I am the one who designed them. They can, they can find fullness of joy in me. Pleasures forevermore at right, my right hand. They could have me. They don't want me. They don't want me. And instead what they've done, the second evil They've hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. And so instead of turning to the fountain of living water, the, the people have, instead, they, they, they go and they mess about with broken pieces of pottery, trying to fill those with water, trying to find satisfaction in the broken things of this world. Paul saw that when he saw Athens. It's it's fine to enjoy the simple pleasures in this world. My family and I watched this uh, really, really cool movie last night. It's really cool if you're a history nerd, I guess. It's probably not really cool to normal people. But, we, but I really enjoyed it, and, and they had to watch it, so they said they enjoyed it. They didn't have a choice, so they watched it with me. Um, it's a really cool movie about um, spies during World War II, and, uh, and is really historically accurate, so it was a little bit slow, and a little bit, you know, non-James Bondy. You know, nothing blew up or anything like that. But it was... It was really cool. Enjoy those with your family. Read a good book. Go to a basketball game. Celebrate when your team wins. Unless you're rooting for any of my teams, then just, you know... (sighs) Enjoy sports. Enjoy movies. There's a lot to be impressed with. But let's never... Let's never get so impressed with the things of this world that we, we stop seeing them incor- we start seeing them incorrectly. Uh, you, maybe you have an iPhone. Um, so so I, would, like, I would judge you if you had an iPhone. I would love to judge you because you, you spent so much money on that phone. Um, I would love to just publicly judge you. Um, but the reason I don't buy an iPhone is because I'm in this ever, um, this everlasting um, quest to convince my wife to let me buy iced coffee whenever I want to. And so I can only waste a thousand dollars a year on one thing. I can either buy 333 iced coffees, or I can buy 
Uh, I've done the math. Or I can buy an iPhone, and I, so I just go with the cheap Android, and so you have your problems, I have mine. Anyhow, um, but it's fine to enjoy, it's, imp- it's fine to enjoy that technology. I- iPhones are impressive. That is impressive. If you're old, if you're the person who appreciates tithes in this room, if you're that generation, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting a n- number to that, but you're old, okay? You care about tithes. And so, um, if you're that person, then you've seen amazing advances in, in technology. I mean, you would not have been able to dream of an iPhone 30, 40 years ago. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. It's good for us to be like, wow, that's, that's amazing. That's fine. But I want you to listen to the words of Steve Jobs. Uh, Steve Jobs, he died recently of cancer. He's the man who is just most responsible for unleashing the iPhone into the world. He's the man who made the most money from that device um, and from all all kinds of Apple products. Brilliant man. Brilliant, uh, like, innovator-type guy and then brilliant businessman. He's a brilliant marketer. I mean, this guy had it going. And he said, uh, his, his biographer was, was, was interviewing him, and Steve Jobs said, um, sometimes I believe in God, sometimes I don't. I think it's 50-50 maybe. But ever since I've had cancer, I've been thinking about it more. And I find myself believing a bit more. I kind of, maybe, it's because I want to believe in an afterlife, that when you die... It doesn't just all disappear. The wisdom you've accumulated, somehow it lives on. But then he said, and this is how he ends it though, instead of looking to God, this is how he ends it. He says, yeah, but sometimes I think it's just like an on-off switch. Click and you're gone. And this is what he says. And that's why I don't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. He could have, he could have sought for God in the scriptures. He could have. That's what he, he, he wants. I mean, he's a poster boy for Ecclesiastes 1.11. God put, God put eternity into the hearts of man. He, 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 he put this desire for eternal significance, eternal security, eternal worth into us. And you can hear that coming from Steve Jobs there. You can hear it in him. But the way he decided to deal with it was to not put on-off switches on his devices. And you say, well, that's foolish. That is the foolishness of all those who, instead of looking to God, the fountain of living water, they would, they would, they would want to just mess about with, with broken pottery. Look for living water in worthless ways. It's important that we see that in the world around us. If we, want, if we want the gospel to be on the tip of our tongues, if we want the story of Jesus and his death and his resurrection to be the biggest story, the story that we just kind of work into our conversations, the story that just brings us the most joy and we want it to be impressed upon the hearts of other people, if, if, we, if that's what we want, we have to see the world correctly. This is, this is what drove Paul to tell everyone about Jesus and the resurrection. So, verse 17 
of Acts 16. Verse 17, so he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons. So he, he's preaching Jesus to the Bible believers in the synagogues. And then, and then he, in the marketplace, every day, the end of verse 17, with those who happen to be there. So just like this is just the, the regular people who he knows aren't going to the synagogue and they don't know anything about this. And then verse 18, some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. So these are guys who are, they, they look at life very differently, but both of these types of philosophers would say there's no afterlife, so what you do now is what matters. Epicureans would, would say you go all in on fun. Stoics would say you have to be content, you have to work hard, you have to say it is what it is, you can't get down. And so they, no matter what, they, they, these philosophers, there's no afterlife. But they also, they heard about Jesus and the resurrection, so they conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher, a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Verse 19, and they took him and brought him to the Oropagus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and, all, and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, this is just like this, this place where people would come and debate big ideas, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious, for I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul saw the world correctly. He saw their spiritual hunger. He saw the he saw Romans one in action where where they had they, 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 they what, what 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 was clearly I mean eternity or, or, or creation clearly revealed God, but they suppressed the truth. They traded in worshiping the Creator for worshiping the creature. And he, he saw this idolatry everywhere. This, this being obsessed with something new, something you've never thought about before. They wanted something new. They wanted something new. They wanted something new to think about. When Paul saw that in them, he saw their spiritual hunger. He saw their emptiness. He saw the world correctly. You must see the world correctly. You must. That's number one. Following Paul's example means seeing the world correctly. Number two, Paul told people who God is. This is the second thing we see Paul doing here. Paul told people who God is. Starting in verse 22, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Eurobagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, what therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. Paul knew the people he was talking to had never read the Old Testament. They never read the Old Testament. He, he, he said, he, he knew that if they had any idea who God is, I mean, it was very murky at best. They, they, may, they might have heard some things from some people, but if they had any idea, of, like when Paul said God, what, they, what, what he meant, these, these people probably had very, very fuzzy understanding of who God is. 
And so Paul realizes that if you don't understand who God is, the rest of it doesn't matter. God is the reason the gospel matters. God is the reason anything matters. And so it is vital for us in our own lives to understand that this is, this is the world we live in. Like the world, it, we, we live in, in 21st century America. It's very much like 1st century Athens. The people around us don't know who God is. Maybe at one time, and in different cultures, in different eras, in different countries, or different times in this country maybe, or just maybe there have been times where we had more spiritual literacy than we have now, more biblical literacy than we have now, but most people have no idea who God is. So we have to do what Paul did here. He starts at the beginning. He said, when I, when I talk about God, this is who I mean. When I'm talking about God, this is who I mean. Verse 24, the God who made the world and everything in it. God is the creator. This is where the gospel starts. It starts with the creative power of God. It starts with the authority of God. He has, he has created the world and everything in it. So we, just, just by that fact alone, we, are, we owe our allegiance and our worship to Him. He created the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God needs nothing. God is the giver. We are alive because of God. It's important for us to understand God didn't create us because He needed something, because He was lonely, or He needed a buddy, or He needed someone to tell Him what to do. He doesn't, God didn't need anything. God has always been completely satisfied in Himself. If He wasn't completely satisfied in Himself, He would be less than God. He's always been completely pleased with Himself. Not more so after He created us. God's always seeking His own glory. God's always doing things for His own glory. God is always satisfied in His own wisdom and brilliance and power. Because He is is the Creator of everything. And He is the One who gives us life and breath and everything. Verse 26, And He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, and look at look how look how sovereign he is. Look how he rules and reigns over all things, over everything that happens. Because it says in the, verse twenty six, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the dwelling place. Like he he's he's sovereign over when we are born and when we die. He is sovereign over where we live. He is he is ruling over everything. And he does this, verse 27, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed His offspring. We are created in the image of God. In that way, we are His offspring. We come from Him Mankind was, was created in the image of God, and we are created to feel our way towards Him. He is knowable. We can know Him. He has revealed Himself to us. But then look at 
verse 29. You, you can't just decide for yourself who God is and what it means to worship Him. Being then, verse 29, being then God's offspring, we ought not to think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked. God has been very patient. He has been very patient. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. So God has been patient with idolatry. He's been patient with, with all of mankind's ways that they're rejecting Him and looking for living water, looking for the water that only He can give, looking for the satisfaction and joy that only He can give, looking for that anywhere else but Him, refusing to trust Him, refusing to obey Him, refusing to honor Him. He's been patient, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. It is so vital that when we are speaking of the Gospel with people, when we are thinking about the Gospel in our own hearts and minds, it is so vital that we remember who God is. Like, you were created to bring glory to Him. To honor Him. And not only were you created to do this, but you are being kept alive. Like, He gives you life and breath and everything. Do you understand that right now, you are on life support? You are on life support right now. You are, you are not alive on your own strength. You are not. You are 100% dependent upon God for your next breath. It is not, an, it is not a, 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 a theological fallacy. It is not wrong to, to have the image in your mind of just flat out in a hospital bed completely dependent upon that machine for support. If you don't have the life support that only God can give, you flatline. That is the story here. Do we understand that? And so this is what makes our sin so despicable. Because we are taking the, the breath that God is giving us and we are shaking our fists at Him. This is what makes sin awful. When we, when, we are, when we mistreat each other, when we lie about each other, when we are mean to each other, when, when, we, are, when we are lustful or deceitful, when we decide we're going to do our own thing when it comes to sex and marriage, when we, when we decide, I know when life starts and when it doesn't, I know what it means to... When we decide we're going to go our own way, we are, we are taking the, the oxygen... That only God can give. And we are shaking our fist at Him. This is why God is saying, it is time for you to repent. It is time to look to the man that He has appointed. His Son, the God-man, Jesus of Nazareth, who, who lived a perfect life and who died in our place and who has been raised from the dead. And one day He will judge everyone everywhere. It is time to repent and believe the Gospel. It's time to repent and believe that only Jesus can save you from all your sins that you have committed against the God who created you and is keeping you alive. There is forgiveness only in Jesus Christ. Paul knew that the Gospel just does not make sense. You don't understand who God is. 
And we are, that is the day we are living in. We are living in a day where people do not know who God is. Sin doesn't matter because God doesn't matter. Because they don't know who He is. We have to tell people who God is. That's the second part of Paul's example. And then number three, Paul emphasized the resurrection. Paul emphasized the resurrection. Starting in verse 30, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. Verse 32, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Because of course they did. Because that's crazy. It's, it's probably, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I left out of the sermon. You're, I know you think it's too long already. There's a whole bunch of stuff I left out. Well, one of the things I left out, but I'm not really leaving it out because now I'm talking about it, but I left it out of my notes. But one of the things, the Greeks, the, the, the Greeks when they heard Jesus and the resurrection, they actually, they actually thought that, that meant two different gods. That was like Jesus and his girlfriend named the resurrection. Because they named their gods weird things like that. So their gods were named after um, events or named after ideas or, or na- like virtue or something like that. And so they didn't really think that when Paul was talking about Jesus and the resurrection, he really meant someone was raised from the dead. They, they were like, come talk to us about these gods that you know called Jesus and the resurrection. That's what they thought of. It's like a, you know, like a weird band or something. It's Jesus and the resurrection. You know, like, no, that's, so, so that's just kind of what they, that's what they heard. Because that's kind of the that's the kind of minds that they had. That's what they were used to. That's what that's what they heard. Uh, but when Paul makes it clear, no, no, Jesus was dead, and then he was raised. Like he was dead, and then he wasn't dead anymore. He was raised from the dead. When Paul made that clear, people were like, well, that's crazy. That's what? That's crazy. And they mocked him, because of course they do. And really, between you and me, that's the reason we don't talk about this much, is it? We're afraid of being mocked. Now, I'm pretty sure Paul took being mocked any day. He was like, oh, you're not going to throw rocks at me? You're just going to laugh at me? Awesome! That's great! That's awesome! I'll take this over being whipped or being thrown in jail any day. You have mock all you want. You, you guys are... Uh, have you seen what they did down the road? You would, Yeah. Yeah. They're mocking your mocking is what they're doing. You're, you're weak. Paul take mocking any day. We're afraid of it. We don't want to be mocked. Especially by people we care about. Especially we want to, people we want to have a, a friendship with. People we want their respect. We want to continue to have conversation with them. We sort of, we don't, we don't, really, we don't really drive home the, 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 the resurrection too hard because we're afraid. Because this, this, this will happen. It could happen. It, it, it will. But, but but Paul understands that if you, you, you've, got to, you've got to go hard with the resurrection. You have to emphasize the resurrection because people have to deal with this. It's a, it's a historic fact. It's a, it's a historic fact. We believe this actually happened on a certain day in history, that Jesus was actually dead. He had flatlined, and he wasn't just dead for a little while, where like, you know, he's dead for 30, 45 seconds, where someone like does the thing and they, and they bring him back. No, he was gone for three days. He was dead. 
He was dead. Officially dead. And God raised him from the dead. So Paul is saying, you have to deal with that. You have to deal with that. That is a linchpin to what we believe. You have to deal with it. Because the thing is, the thing is, Jesus says it is finished, and then he dies. You know, the the scoffer could say, well, that means anything. That means anything. That, that, you know, one man's death, that could mean anything. But God will not allow that. God is saying, by, by publicly raising Jesus from the dead, by publicly raising him from the dead, and by, and by presenting Jesus to all kinds of witnesses, God, God is saying, no, here's what the death of Jesus means. It, it means that, that he has completely paid for the sins of, of mankind. That he's going to, that, that anyone who believes, anyone who believes their sins are paid for. It is, it is a full and final payment. It means that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It means that, that anyone who trusts in him will be saved. It means that all those who reject him will be punished in hell forever. The, the resurrection publicly settles everything. If, you, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, then the resurrection is the, is the public guarantee that you are forgiven. All of your sins are forgiven. It is a guarantee that, that we will live forever with God in great joy. It is, it is the guarantee that God's Word can be trusted and obeyed no matter what. It is the guarantee that our labor is not in vain. It is, it is our public guarantee. The resurrection settles everything. So this is why you and I must do what Paul did. We must, we must emphasize the resurrection, the actual historic resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so will people mock us? Perhaps. But, also perhaps, some will believe. Because this, this truth of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, this is the message that God has been using for centuries to save everyone who has ever been, ever been born again by the grace of God. This is the story. This is what God has been using to save people, to, to take their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh, to, to fire faith within them. This is the story God has been using. This is it. I, I pray this morning that you, that all of you, have believed this story. I pray that Pray that all of you have believed the gospel. If you if you haven't, please do so now. Please turn to Jesus right now to save you from your sins. There is forgiveness only in Jesus. God made that abundantly clear. God, God made it abundantly clear when he raised Jesus from the dead. He was saying to anyone who had eyes to see, anyone who had ears to hear, that, 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 that the payment that Jesus that Jesus offered on the cross was sufficient. And it's the only payment that will take care of our sins. It's the only payment that can give us forgiveness. I pray that you've believed. And again, like I try to say every week, if you haven't believed and you have questions, come find me. We will talk. And then if you have believed, then, 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 then I pray you join me 
this morning in, in really wanting that this story to be the most important story in our lives. That, that, that this story is the one that we're just trying to find a way to weasel into conversations. That, that this story, if, if, you, if your children or your grandchildren ask you, what is, what is grandpa, what is grandma, what is dad, what is mom, what are they most passionate about, what are they most excited about, what is their thing, what is their thing, that they would say, Jesus his life, his death, his resurrection, the gospel. That's, where they, that's just what's in their head. That's what's in their heart. That's what they talk about. Let's follow Paul's example. Let's see the world correctly. Let's, let's tell people who God is, and, and then whether we get mocked or not, let's emphasize the resurrection. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you that it happened. We thank you that it happened, and we thank you. I mean, there's, um, and I thank you that, God, that you have, you have opened my eyes to believe this. You've opened my heart to believe it. I pray that you would do that for, for anyone else here that needs, that needs their eyes open, needs their hearts opened. They need to believe this. I pray, God, that you would. You would show them that anything else, going anywhere else, is just like, it's, it's broken cisterns. It's, it's never going to work. There's no, there's no satisfaction there. There's no joy there. There's nothing, but, there's nothing but judgment there. I thank you, God, for your grace to us. And I thank you for the, the day that you publicly raised Jesus from the dead. I thank you that, I thank you for all the things that that means. I thank you especially that it means that my sins are forgiven. All the foolish, wicked, sinful things I've done, all of the ways I've taken the oxygen that you have given me and I have I have sinned against you with it. All of the ways I've done that, you have forgiven all of them. Jesus has paid for all of them. And you made that clear by raising him from the dead. We thank you for your great grace to us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you.
closing scripture comes from Philippians chapter 3. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We are dismissed.